Welcome to IT Origins, where each time we meet, we talk to engineers, entrepreneurs, and executives working in the field of IT and ask them how they got started. Today, we're going to be talking to Packet CEO, Zachary Smith. It was a great conversation, and I think you'll enjoy it. So, Zach, can you give me a sense of what your IT origin story is? Uh, how long have you been in the field, and what kind of drew you there? My IT origin story, huh? Well, does it involve a radioactive spider? First of all, no. Standard it question. Im- we do. It does not involve a radioactive spider or my genes mutating in space. I'm already um, disappointed, but please continue. Uh, but I did start a Radio Shack. Um, so when I was a kid, I was uh, into PCs mainly because my uh, my aunt worked for IBM, and she got us a PC Junior, which I remember very clearly. I was in about third grade, um, and you know, at the time, like you got the computer, and then there was like the floppy disk drive, which booted everything, and and then you had to have your smart uncle or somebody come by to actually get it going. Um, <laughs> and then I decided later, like a couple weeks in after we got it, you know, I was playing like Carmen San Diego or whatever we had on the thing, Word Pro- Word Perfect, and I was the smart kid who decided I was going to take it apart, just like the smart uncle. So I took it apart, and um, I couldn't put it back together. <laughs> and this kind of started with, you know, really, really upset my sister, who I guess had written some book report on some floppy disk and really needed to print it with a dot matrix printer. Um, so she forgave me, but eventually I did fix it and got it back together. And ever since then, I've been kind of tinkering with computers. Can't say I was ever very good at it, but I always liked it and, and was always uh, somewhat uh, curious about how they work and what you could do with them. So how does how do you get from screwing with your sister's life and making her life difficult with by messing with a computer to pack it well by way of juilliard okay so so the usual path yes the usual path um i decided that although tinkering uh with computers and screwing with my sister's life was a good hobby i was actually really into music i played uh classical double bass and ended up going to juilliard when i was 17 moved to new york city from orange county california and um while i was here i was paying my way through college by fixing computers for nice old ladies uh getting them on the internet you know getting aol hooked up you know helping them send pictures of their to their grandkids or whatever um and you know i spent more and more time uh going through juilliard um uh, hanging out in the computer lab which as you may imagine at a you know classical music conservatory is not very grandiose um <laughs> but the we had some computers the acoustics are good. Um, everybody's very respectful of the noise. Um, no, but there was a there was a colleague or a friend of mine who was also a bass player. His name's Miles Cowan, um, and he was booting this really really weird operating system called Gen Two Linux. And I was just hanging out, wondering what it was, thinking about, hey, what's that? And we got started talking about open source. This was the late 90s, and I became more interested. My last year in college, um, I effectively decided that I wanted to um, you know, spend more time in IT. I ended up getting a short temp job uh, at Credit Suisse First Boston, helping their bankers do PowerPoint slides and answer other kinds of questions on the computer. And then while I was there, I, um, I started a web hosting business, and the rest is kind of history. Um, went from there until we had thousands and thousands of servers and building the internet. And, uh, you know, here we are today. So with that context, what's kind of been the biggest change in it since you started your career in the, or essentially started your interest maybe in the late nineties? 
Um, well, the one that I like to focus on, I mean, there's obviously been a lot, but the one I like to focus on is just the access to tinkering. So I mentioned earlier, you know, one of the first areas when I got into computers, you could take them apart. Right. You could open them. In fact, you had to because you probably had to put it together. Um, I spent a lot of time at Radio Shack, you know, with Tandys, um, asking some guy in the corner right next to the transistors, you know, which uh, video card I should pop in my my PC. And so, you know, it was a really a kind of a build culture um, around that. And I didn't grow up like maybe my dad's generation grew up working on their, you know, 67 Mustang or whatever. I grew up working on my Tandy PC. And um, I think that's been a big change is that, you know, the people who we bring into our business today and customers, um, you know, they have a MacBook, which has no screws on it and they can't open it. Um, and there's just not that same kind of personal tinkering side. Um, I'm not sure that that, you know, materially impacts. These things are highly complex and I probably couldn't put them together right now. But it is, you know, give you kind of a personal control and, and feeling about how these things work, um, the lower level system. So for me, that's been one of the biggest changes that most of our customers and most of the people we work with have never opened a computer in their life. As someone who kind of got into technology from building their own PCs, that, that makes me sad. But it also makes me wonder maybe going to uh, a little bit into, you know, uh, Packet's business model is that maybe that tinkering has moved from a hardware to more into software. I mean, we're seeing, you know, kids uh, programming their own apps. We're seeing, you know, a, a lot of uh, weirdness with software. Uh, do you think there's any credence to that, that it's just, it's just shifted focus? Well, definitely. I mean, the innovation on software is just somewhat mind blowing, right? I think I read some stat, which could be wrong, but that there was, you know, 15 plus million people who self-identified them, their their jobs or their main source of income is software development, right? In the world today, seems like a lot of people writing software. And I, you can tell that with just the, the huge pace, the GitHub generation, social coding, open source. I mean, lots of people touch code all the time, right? Um, what actually found that, you know, it was a surprising thing. Thing that we did when we started Packet, which is really, it was only three and a half years ago that we started the company. And our job, our goal, our mission was to provide hardware access without abstraction, without kind of like the fuzzy gitchy goomies of virtualization or other kinds of layers that, that you know, just allow you to play in JavaScript or whatnot, to give actual hardware access to a new generation that was, you know, kind of not interested in going and grabbing all the parts and putting it together and putting it in a rack and turning it on and finding a switch and getting an AS and doing all that. But they did want to tinker. They just wanted to tinker in a more rapid fashion. And so um, we had, you know, thousands of users sign up for our service pretty quickly um, to tinker with raw hardware over the internet. And so I did a little Google search, you know, where you do the Google trends. And I looked at, you know, cloud computing and it was, you know, this nice little line at the bottom going up and to the right a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. You know, let's say on a scale of one to 10, it was down there at like a one. And then, uh, you know, I saw it in like Docker, which is a software thing that's pretty, you know, popular these days. And it was at like a two. And then I searched for Raspberry Pi and it was like an eight. And I think that there are tinkers in the world. There are people who are very interested in what they can build with both software and hardware. It's just that we need to, as an industry, you know, there isn't the neighborhood computer shop or even the Radio Shack anymore. Um, and people's, you know, kind of Petri dish maybe not isn't their, their neighborhood or their local data center or ISP, but it's kind of more flattened. It's the whole world. And they want to write software that, that impacts that. So, you know, I think our, our little part in that is to how can we provide access to a new generation for hardware that's relevant to them? 
So that's that's how I see it. And uh, I do believe that there are more people interested in tinkering on hardware if we made it available to them. So this kind of builds off of that. What would you say, if there's anything different, uh, is the current worst trend in IT? Hmm. Um, yeah. Without burning any bridges. Okay, I'm not going to burn any bridges here. Um, I would say that there are a few companies in the world who have made um, infrastructure and access to hardware and the internet so polished, so good, they're so amazing at it, um, that it's actually really, really difficult for people to imagine or to start innovating on parts of the stack today. Um, and it's because like the competition or the expectation is so high. Right. And I kind of put that in the realm of, you know, it'd be pretty difficult to, to go in and compete in the mobile phone business with the, you know, just this amazing hardware and software ecosystem and refresh cycle and all these other things that make it like the, the consumer expectation. And I kind of feel the same way in, in IT and cloud computing. The user expectations are so high and the capabilities of a very few number of people are so good. And by that, I mean the, the largest internet companies in the world um, that it, it's really stifling some of the innovation capability um, because it's really hard for three people in their um, in their bedroom or a corner office to be in the infrastructure space or to innovate on that layer. And I'm a little bit worried about what that means 10 years out from now um, because I do think although we're going to be in a world that's dominated by software innovation, that all the biggest software innovation that we know will rely upon being tightly coupled to hardware. Um, and that's when I think forward to, I have small kids, six and eight. I look forward to their future when they're 16 years old. Are they driving cars or are the cars driving them? I just don't think that the technology that will empower that experience will be abstracted software with no relation to hardware. It will be software that's highly coupled with, with hardware. So that's what I'm worried about. And the trend that I am you know, most anxious about is lack of access and ability to innovate on kind of the global infrastructure layer. Well, let's give our listeners some hope. Uh, current best trend in IT. Mm. Well, the best trend in IT is that the the, the ability to use and uh, innovate on the software layer is becoming so good. Um, and uh, I'd like to give you an example, which is a few weeks ago, we had a customer sign up, use our platform, do some things. And um, before I knew it, they had deployed in 18 locations using this distributed application they wrote. They're effectively being like a pretty particular CDN. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just five years ago, the ability to run a highly distributed application was the realm of a few. That was, you know, the role of a few big CDNs, telecoms and internet companies who could run highly distributed infrastructure and write software that could take advantage of that. And now here's, you know, basically two kids, right, who read up on the internet around how to use Kubernetes and deployed an 18 location CDN for their gaming platform. Way to go. Right. Yeah, so awesome. I think. You know, and it wasn't even costing them that much, you know, and I thought that, wow, that's really amazing what they could do um, so quickly and using their own opinion. They effectively use almost exclusively open source technologies. You know, they were they were I'm not going to say competing, but they were offering a compelling product that would have been totally impossible five years ago. So I'm uh, I'm pretty excited about that and, and what people will create. 
All right, so shifting gears a little bit, I'm always interested in process. And, you know, as a CEO, I would imagine you have a, a and, and given your background, uh, perhaps some unique uh, thoughts on this. But what are kind of some of your approaches to organization at work? Uh, do you have any must-use apps that you can't live without? Uh, just kind of curious to, to dig into that. Yeah, well, I've been an IRC user for way too long. Um, <laughs> so um, because of that, you know, it's pretty natural for me to use kind of real-time communication tools. Um, we're a big user of Slack internally. It's like my most hated and most loved app at the same time. <laughs> um, communication is great, but it's, you know, you can waste a lot of time on IRC and you can also waste a ton of time on Slack. So, you know, that's an area where um, we struggle. We, we, we try and, um, really embrace transparency. Uh, we're not a huge company. We're about 50 people. We're pretty distributed. You know, my kind of viewpoint is as soon as you have one remote worker, you're a remote company. <laughs> and so we work really hard to be inclusive and, um, you know, kind of be very open about our decision-making processes, what what's happening within the company, the numbers. So, you know, even though we send like, you know, I send out my complete financial statements and all of our key numbers uh, to all of our employees every month. Um, so we're like that, we're that transparent throughout our, throughout our business and that really helps. But sometimes the um, communication, the transparency and communication through these types of tools is a challenge, right? Because people end up being kind of always on and, and trying to balance that um, need and desire to be open with the expectation or the presumed expectation that everybody should always be looking at their phone or IRC client um, is a real challenge, I think, um, not only for us, but in a lot of companies these days. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely understand. We use Slack in the office as well. And my big challenge with that is always, I always am tempted to move productivity directly into Slack, which is always like Taking it and not using it as a communication tool is always the worst idea ever. Right. <laughs> yep. Well, you're not alone there. So some of the things that we have found useful, though, um, you know, we use um, and recently started implementing. We do a lot of one-on-ones. It's really important that I connect with my direct reports and that they do the same throughout their business. And we, we practice something called EOS where we set very clear goals, have a way that we structure our meetings. Um, it's not rocket science. It just gives you kind of a formula to run your company against. Um, and we recently started using a tool called Lattice, um, which just is become awesome for us. It's a way to set your goals, um, down waterfall those throughout your organization, um, and then do your schedule and manage your your one-on-ones in a way that's really collaborative. It also does 360 review stuff and other things that are important as you get to kind of be a little bit bigger. Um, but I'll tell you, that has been one of the breath of fresh air that we've had throughout our company is, is a way to structure kind of people's goals and expectations so that they know what you're asking for them. And you can also um, you know, really judge and be transparent about where, where things are at. So it's been a huge benefit for us. All right, shifting gears a little bit here. Uh, do you have any book recommendations for other IT pros out there? And what are you reading right now? Ah, uh, well, I don't know. I kind of had the Bible, right? So uh, the Bible in my world is the SRE handbook, right? Um, from Google. So that's probably one of my favorite reads. Um, in fact, I was picking up a chapter the other day. Uh, so I guess that's what I would be reading right now because it's hard for me. I don't understand everything. And I always like reread until I kind of see it in a couple different ways. But, you know, learning from the team at Google about how they think around infrastructure and operations and software and kind of 
you know, putting those into to real kind of clear, um, you know, visions around how these can work within organizations. You know, it's just so clear they they went through so many of the challenges that many of us are having today in a world where software is moving fast and businesses are trying to keep up. And and they lived this and created some really interesting ways around them. So that's probably my favorite book, and I come back to it every couple months and 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 reread as much as I can get through before I fall asleep. <laughs> that's a that's a pretty good recommendation. Uh, that's uh, that's new to us, so that's that's awesome. All right, and uh, what are you doing when you're not working in IT and or reading the SRE handbook? <laughs> well, um, a few things. So I uh, I, lo- I lead the Lower Manhattan Boy Scout troop. Um, so I got like I said, young kids, and we live in the concrete jungle. And so something that I really enjoyed growing up was was camping. And um, so I started and run the uh, Pack Three in Lower Manhattan, and that's a true joy of mine. Um, so I, I try and donate my time when I when I have it to things that that help both my own kind of family and community um, wherever possible. And so one of the other things that I'm pretty passionate about is um, bringing more people into kind of the somewhat white male technology world that exists. Um, So I support and I'm on the operating board of a company called Coalition for Queens that brings um, kind of blue collar immigrant workers into the New York City um, technology ecosystem. So I spent a lot of time there. And then um, I'm a runner. So a couple nights a week, I get out, do my miles, usually do it with a friend or two, and people watch throughout the city while I do it. That, uh, that is pretty well-rounded. Uh, were you, out of curiosity, were you a Boy Scout yourself growing up? Yeah, for all of about two months. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't make it very far, and I think it was because my den leader, hopefully she never listens to this, but she basically just fed us Cheetos the whole time and put us in front of the TV, which didn't really feel very Boy Scouty to me. <laughs> but um, anyways, I think it was when I came home and threw up Cheetos that my mom and I decided that this was probably not what we were looking for. <laughs> that, uh, that is pretty good. Uh, so uh, we'll be looking at what, uh, a bear right now? Oh, yeah, man. We got lions down at the kindergarten level, okay. and uh, we got bears in third grade. So, okay, yeah, yeah was, we got, we got the, the mix. Yeah, yeah as a, uh, I'm assuming, uh, did you make it all the way to Eagle? Or? No, I, I tapped out at first class, uh, and then I discovered girls, and uh, ah. it was that was it at about uh, 15, well, 16. For me. If only you could do it again, because as of January, the Boy Scouts now has family scouting. So yeah, I have a friend who's, uh, who's one of the pilot uh, 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 parent organizers for that. Which really? Was, uh, which is pretty awesome, yeah, yeah, in the area. Yeah, that's I mean, it's, cool. it's a big change, but I think one that's really overdue, so oh, we're excited here. Overdue in new york for that yeah yeah uh but uh you know i I think um i I always found it a very interesting organization for you know wasn't super into sports but wanted some camaraderie and i I thought it was a great organization for that yeah all right and uh how do you uh caffeine if you do oh it's always espresso for me really just straight just a a straight tiny cup espresso yeah, well, it might be more than one. Um, so I've got I've got two favorites, and one is in the morning. It's an AeroPress. So I don't know if you've used an AeroPress before, but uh, same guy who. Okay, right. So it's pretty good. It's very easy. Not a lot of mechanics going on. Um, so that's the morning, and the afternoon is uh, usually one or two shots of espresso. And since you're in New York, do you have a go-to coffee shop? I figure there's uh, no uh, no dearth of selection there. 
Yeah, we have no coffee shops in New York. It's really? awful. Hmm. They've all moved to Brooklyn. Um, <laughs> yeah. No. So um, we we are kind of like inundated with ridiculously amazing coffee shops. Where I don't know the current trend in New York City, at least in downtown, is all the Aussie coffee shops. So there's a, a whole bunch of Australian coffee shops around here, um, and they 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 talk with this really great accent. They are like six foot two and strikingly good looking, and then they kind of look down at you as they serve you your flat white. Um, so, <laughs> Which is very Australian. Is very Australian. But I'm looking at uh, one of my favorite coffee shops. Is a, It's actually not here at all. But last year, I, I, I go to Barcelona about once a year. There's a big show called Mobile World Congress where all the like telecom nerds hang out. And there's this really, really cool offbeat coffee shop that one of my clients introduced me called Satan's. And um, I didn't go this year, but my friend, uh, one of my colleagues here at the at the office went and he brought me back a cool Satan's patch, which is sitting right in front of me right now. So I might have to put Satan's up on the list. So if you're ever in Barcelona, you know, New York City, go for the Aussies, flat white, definitely good. Barcelona, go to Satan's. Well, we're out there for Cisco Live Europe, so uh, I might have to uh, look that up next time we're out there. Absolutely. All right. And who would you like to see uh, sit down for the IT Origins interview? Hmm. That's a really good question. Um, wow. I would like to say that uh okay yeah i gotta think of this too. i'd like to see lisa sue from amd oh great oh my god yes. oh my lord i would love that you gotta go high all right exactly. um, and i just am like such a fan I'm, I'm going out to open compute next week and i'm hoping she's gonna be there so i can kind of like get the autograph i'm gonna bring a chip so she can sign it um <laughs> but just such a you know uh inspiring uh kind of female uh ceo leader right amazing engineer um, New Yorker, right? Um, and really, I think, you know, having a great comeback with AMD right now. So let's get Lisa on the phone. As a uh, former AMD fanboy in my uh, computer building days, that would uh, make my heart flutter. You can uh, be an AMD fanboy again. This is true. It's it's been uh, it's been a, a little bit of a rough patch, but uh, the Ryzen Ryzen awesome. Ryzen waits for you. <laughs> <laughs> now I just need to get spousal approval to drop that kind of money, right? Yeah, or you can try it on Packet. We got the Epic. It's oh, almost that's true. as good. Ooh, yes. I just see that the other day. That's pretty awesome. I, I always – no, if I'm going to go to Packet, I'm spinning up some weird ARM servers, and I don't know what I'm doing with them, but that's what I'm that's what I'm doing. You're trying to see if you can get the kernel to compile on all 96 cores. Of course, that's what you're going to do with it. <laughs> all right, and last question here before we get you out of here. Best career advice you've received? Uh, network all the time. My wife, we used to – just we were, we were dating at the time. This is my best story for networking. And we were dating at the time, and we used to have this long elevator we'd have to take getting out of the subway in uh, a 190th Street on Fort Washington Avenue up in Upper Manhattan, whatever. It's this really, really uncomfortable situation where you're in the elevator with 30 or 40 other random strangers, and everybody's quiet because it takes like two minutes to go up the elevator. And me being this like nice little homeboy from California, what do I do? I turn to the guy next to me or gal next to me and say, hey, my name's Zach. And <laughs> my wife would always jab me being like, stop it, stop it. Nobody wants to talk to you. I have met so many people and advance my career in more ways than I can possibly handle by just getting used to talking to more people. And, you know, network, don't be afraid. Most people are really, really nice in this world. And if they're not really nice, we'll fool you on them. And so don't be afraid to just, you know, ask for a favor, get to know, be inquisitive, and, you know, good things really happen. Zach, this has been a pleasure, and I appreciate you being here for IT Origin. This was awesome. 
Well, when you get Lisa, call me, all right? <laughs> I will definitely share that link. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, why not? I think we'll, we'll book her for next week. Thanks for listening to IT Origins. And remember, we have new interviews up on gestaltit.com each and every Thursday. Be sure to check out our back catalog. We've got just under 20-odd interviews up already. Until next week, remember, have a super sparkly day.